Geek Top 5 Quarantine Edition. Yay! It was time now. There was was all the time I needed. Geek Top 5. I'm Jesse. And I'm Graham. And we are back with another set of dueling lists. It's uh, after that big old round table last week, which was a blast. You should check it out if you hadn't. It's uh, back down to, to me and Graham. Uh, Graham, how, how are you? I, I'm okay. I'm okay. How are you? I am also doing all right. It's spring is in the air. Um, you know, maybe we'll be allowed to go out in it. It's very exciting. Yeah. Lots of... Vaccines right? Lots of- on the horizon somewhere. Yeah, yeah, can't wait. It uh, there, it's it's possible that we're in a place where if we ask around, we can find a map that maybe shows the way to a point where things are normal. Hooray! Yeah. <laughs> but before we get all of that started, uh, we have a little bit more fan mail. Yes, we do. I'm just gonna jump right into it. It's uh, regarding our last episode with the the uh, Dungeons and Dragons crew. The email says, "Hey, Geek Top Five. Amazing Dungeons and Dragons episode. As a newish player myself, listening to you guys discuss the game as DMs and players really puts the versatility of this game into perspective. There's no wrong way to play it, and you can't have any set expectations for any game or campaign. Looking forward to more D&D games in your next episode of Geek Top 5 from Joe. Thank you, Joe. Hey, thanks for reaching out. Um, unfortunately, we're, I mean, we could just make this a D&D podcast. Those are very popular these days. <laughs> uh, but no, uh, I would sure like to, obviously, we'd like to revisit it. If you haven't listened to it, uh, our most recent episode, our roundtable on Dungeons and Dragons with Three Davids. Um, yeah, we're D&D and D&D and D. That was a, it's a blast to say out loud, but it's also one of our better episodes. Um, And hey, if you're curious about Dungeons and Dragons, we lay it out for you. So give that a listen. And as always, please, if there's anything you want to hear or anything you want to talk about that you heard, please just let us know. Yep, works for me. As you can tell, we're sort of straining with our optimism uh, because our lists this time around, admittedly, maybe a little bit cynical. But I think that you know, some, in all things, sometimes there's a time you have to grow up. What we're talking about here today is, I mean, well, maybe you can identify it more than me, but I'm like, these are the things that I think we just have to let die. Yeah, I think specifically we're talking about franchises, like. Things that have had their chance in the spotlight and yet keep trying to come back uh, like some sort of undead monster, and uh, and they just aren't taking the hint. And this is this is our attempt. I, I have been waffling on what to call it, but I think stale franchises might be the way to go. That's pretty good, I think. Yeah. Uh, so it's just stuff that it's like okay, time to stop. Yeah, and I think, uh, well, I don't know about you, Jess, but I have a few on here that I think might upset some people, but we will see. Oh, me as well. That's all part of the fun. (laughs) So the traditional format stands. uh, We're going to go back and forth with our lists, and if anyone says uh, something, uh, the name of a franchise that uh, the other person has higher on their list, we will pause there and come back to it when we get to it on the other person's list. Sounds good to me. Let's jump right in. Graham, what is your number five? Well, uh, this probably won't come as a surprise to you, as I think it may be something we discussed on our uh, our, our Hot Buttons or whatever it was called episode, uh, the Harry Potter franchise. Ooh, yeah, people. 
Well, that's controversial for a lot of reasons these days, isn't it? Yeah, true, and and I may have more support for this than uh, I I would have uh, even a year, maybe two years ago. Uh, seven novels, eight films that were adaptations of said novels, a website, some video games, an amusement park, now uh, two prequel movies, a third on the way, a very long play, some other side books. It's a lot, and... I I get the impression I, I'm I'm still going through the books. I haven't finished reading the series. I've been reading them off and on at bedtime to my kid, and we're on uh, book four right now. And I I think I'm coming to it from a place where it was it's uh, the most hyped up series of books in our lifetime. So it's hard for anything to live up to that expectation, aside from you know maybe Game of Thrones tops that as far as uh, how how much people are into it but harry potter is is for sure up there and and set a lot of people on their literary journey their their literacy path that they're on so i think it has a lot going for it on that level there are they're fine books um i find them a little predictable and a little frustrating at times but then again i've been living in a harry potter world for for 20 years and and so I, i'm i'm a little more used to it but I think it's one of those franchises that is at its best with its core story. I don't think I care about any of the stuff outside of it. I don't think we need these side books. I don't think we need prequels. That's all diminishing returns. The most recent prequel movie was the lowest grossing of the movies that have been made of this franchise. I think we need to take the hint. It, at least take a break. Let it let people's nostalgia build and then come back or something. But for now, I think we're done with the magical wizards at their horrible school. I think you're the, what you're looking for is Wizarding World seems to be the umbrella that they're using. The, the I guess the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, but like I hear the term Wizarding World products. For when they're selling, you know, Harry Potter the aftershave, Harry Potter the scarves, Harry Potter the lunchbox, etc. I just don't think it's a rich enough universe to justify all of these other ancillary stories. Like, the Harry Potter stuff is fine, and there's a lot of mythology in those books, but I, I don't know about you. I don't care about Voldemort's past beyond what's in there. I don't care about Dumbledore's past. I don't want to see books set at other schools or at the accounting firm or whatever. It's it's fine. Let it go. I will admit, I'm curious about the part of Dumbledore. Like, we see in Dumbledore's past, he starts off wearing these really smart suits. <laughs> and at some point between then and the Harry Potter movies, he switches to glittery bathrobes and the pointy hat. I'm curious to find <laughs> out sort of what caused that. Okay, uh, but- I can I can give you a headcanon reason right off the bat. In me. In the books, they're, for special occasions, they have to wear robes. So I guess in the wizarding world, when you're in an official position, it's like a a suit for for you and me going to work. They have to wear goofy-looking robes. That's a dress uniform? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Literally the TNG dress? Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. But yeah. Uh, But no, I hear you. Like, the, I mean, look, I mean, this is tricky. I'm going to devil's advocate, but to be clear, I do sort of see where you're coming from. I think we've both confessed we're not huge Wizarding World people. Um, but I do understand that a lot of people are very fond of this world. Uh, the same way that, you know, that people like you and me would grow up, like, you know, wanting to be in Starfleet, people want to be in Hogwarts. 
Uh, so taking that, I mean, taking that away from them is the reaction you're going to get. That is going to have some mm, active hostility because you are removing you know, people like fuel for people's daydreams. So I, when you talk about that, you don't think it's a rich enough world. I, I don't know about that. I feel like there's room for things to be mined there. I don't know that prequels are the way to do it. That's fair. And just to be clear, I'm not saying we need to take the books and burn them or, or erase them from people's memory. I'm just saying I don't need any more stuff set in that universe. You can keep rereading those books. It's like it's like the line, the witch in the wardrobe stuff. Once those original seven books were done, regardless of what you feel about them, they're pretty much done. There's not much else to be said in that world. And there's not much that's been done out like to continue that franchise at least not officially i'm sure there are fan books or or unofficial sequels but those it is seven books right the the uh, narnia books oh i don't know well, well, it's anyway. a lot i was surprised at how many there were i can't <laughs> believe it didn't stop um i don't know about that uh, again I, I didn't like i didn't finish all the harry potter novels i thought you know it was fine it just wasn't up my alley and that I ended up sort of getting tied down and forced to watch all the movies. Essentially, <laughs> uh, look, I've absorbed a lot of it. Like my friends forced me to take the test. I'm a Slytherin. No one is surprised. The I, I what I don't get is why they've had such a hard time extending that universe because it seems incredibly easy. Like that world at its best revolves around its characters, right? It's not so much about the politics of the, the 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 magic world and the oh, what do they call it the ministry of magic it's about what happens to ron and hermione and harry it seems like it'd be really easy to do you know hogwarts class of 2020 or whatever and do new characters uh, and have new things happen to new people and there's like because it's magic you can get away with anything i just i i feel like there's a lot of potential there but i agree with you that what they've done with it so far has been poorly used at best well i I think it's a similar problem to what the star wars novels had once they decided that you know for for a while it was just rebels versus empire ad nauseum there always seemed to be a new guy coming out of the woodwork to be in charge of the imperial armada the the whatever the last ragtag remainders of the uh, empire was there would be a new person who would take charge and eventually that starts to get boring and strange credulity as the rebels or the republic just keep beating them over and over again and i think that happens here like you can't have voldemort 2 or you can't just keep bringing him back over and over again and but you can do something else, you know, like they wanted to, they were trying to lean into that magic beast stuff. It's like, I mean, they introduced dragons in what, book three, I think it is, the one with the tournament. Um, maybe that's four. That's four. four. That's yeah. the fourth one. That's Goblet of Fire. Like dragons, there's like, look, if you have a bad dragon, that like, that's pretty traditional. You can make a story out of that pretty easily, but they've chosen not to. What we've seen so far in the new material is pretty much a retread you know, bad wizard wants to like break the rules and is attacking normal people. I'm like, well, okay. So I, what I'm getting at is I, I mean, I understand why you want to let it lie because they haven't done a good job of it so far, but I feel like somebody who knows what they're doing could salvage that. Like I'm not, I'm not ready to write it off and I'm not even that big a fan. (laughs) What it feels like you're telling me is that uh, we need JK Rowling to take a break and let you take over the franchise. 
Well, I'm not stepping into those shoes for a wide variety of reasons. I don't know how much we want to get into that on the on this podcast. We are listen. This is a comedy and entertainment <laughs> podcast. We don't focus a lot, but J.K. Rowling is not very popular right now. Um, has decided to plant her flag on some very questionable hills, and uh, and folks, you know, you, it's sometimes it's difficult to separate art from the artist. I think a lot of people would be happy to see this universe taken away from J.K. Rowling. Like her, like she's written her books. They were great, uh, but maybe someone new at the helm could make a difference. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. What's, uh, well, should we move on? Yeah, I suppose so. We'll call that one like a half agree. Okay. I guess that maybe not so much let it die, but eh, maybe could you know, something new to be done with it. I'll be honest, you swayed me more than I thought it was possible for me to be swayed on that one. Yeah, well, that was my, you know, convincing us of other viewious <laughs> spell. <laughs> nice. Got the... the the faux Latin drives me nuts. Neither here. To God, I'm going to be fighting with my wife when she hears this one. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. My number five um, franchise, I think we have to let die. It Look, I love the video games, but this September we're expecting Resident Evil 8. The eighth Resident Evil movie. And I think it's we just got to let this go. And this is going to be controversial, I mean, for, just for technical reasons. Look, the fact of the matter is, the Resident Evil movies make money. And they make money for Toronto, Ontario, where a lot of them are filmed, and where a lot of extras get casted from. And all of these movies are terrible. Well, okay, so let me just jump in quickly before we get too far on this. You're talking specifically about the movie franchise. You're okay with I'm... the video games continuing. Yep, I like the video games. The video games are doing new and interesting things. That is a very different medium. The movies, the film franchise Resident Evil, has never really been on the nose about the. I mean, can you describe what these movies are? They aren't horror movies. I have a confession for you. I have. You've never never seen seen them. (laughs) You're fine. They are. Put it this way, in the first Resident Evil movie ever, this was 2002, in Resident Evil, they wrote in a new character, rather than using a character from the games. Um, there are zombies, it's a secret lab kind of thing. By Resident Evil, I think it's four, that character is now a telekinetic clone, and her and her army of clones fight monsters and evil corporations including these evil corporations who have used the zombie virus to mutate their clones into getting their own superpowers. It, it, it's, it's nuts. Look, these movies, the, I mean, the Metacritics are constantly, you know, 33 out of 100, 24 out of 100, 22 out of 100. But they just keep churning them out because they do make a profit. So, look, this... You listening at home, this is as much your fault as it is the fault of the people who make these. These movies are junk food. Uh, these are like the Wendy's fries of zombie movies. The And look, I'll, I'll eat Wendy's. I'll eat a Wendy's. It's a good burger, but just not for $30 a ticket. And they, they you know, look, they got sea salt on the fries now. That's That's got a... Yeah, okay, let's just torture this this poor, innocent metaphor into the ground. <laughs> okay, uh, I, I do feel like we should say that the, I mean, 
I didn't know this was going to be on your list, so I didn't do much. I didn't do any research on Resident Evil, but the premise is it's it's like it's a zombie movie, right? And is there? Well, no, that doesn't take up a lot of time in this franchise. There are zombies in the first one. Um, by the second one, you're dealing with like the guy who died and became a zombie in the first one and was brought back as a corporate super soldier. Um. And then, oh, and there's also evil AIs. There's a couple of those. Like, it turns into this bizarre, like, knockoff X-Men kind of thing where people have different superpowers and there's a lot of gun foo. Like, I don't know what these movies are. I'll tell you, you're doing a better job of selling it to me than the trailers ever did. It, that, well, then I'm doing my job poorly, because what I'm telling you is, I mean, I've seen maybe three of these, not in any particular order, and I've never stayed awake through any of them. Um, these are the most bland, uninteresting, and like, and they can almost always consistently star Mila Jovovich, who we know is, I mean, look, she's, I don't know how many Oscars she's supposed to sleep on at night. I mean, it may not be right up there, but she knows what she's doing, but she's clearly phoning it in for these. Like, these are clearly made to be cash cows. And I guess where I want to end this on is I want them, I think we have to let this die, and it may not just be because they're bad movies, but also because I sort of feel like the franchise deserves better. Resident Evil in the video games have been doing really interesting things lately. Um, and there are things in a video game that you can't do in a movie, so like, you know, an interactive medium, putting you in there. But it's... They're like, they're doing clever, interesting things and trying to find new ways to tell stories. And these movies are just photocopies of the most generic BS of each other. But, I mean, they're creating jobs and they're making money, so they're not going to stop. But I'm kind of offended by them. Well, uh, just to go back to your Mila Jovovich point, she's married to the guy who directed uh, quite a few of the movies, Paul W.S. Anderson. So that's part of the... The reason she's in so many of them, um, or all of them. I also think that the the new movie, I think, is starting a new continuity and and maybe yeah, it's, be more true to the source material. It's supposed to be a reboot. Um, the last one came out in twenty in twenty ten. No, one was twenty sixteen. So it's been five years, and we're gonna reboot the franchise. Uh, okay, sure. Maybe like, listen. Maybe I'll be shocked. Maybe this guy is looking at it and it'll be you know, he's thinking the same thing that, uh, that that I am and wants to make it like a fun horror thing again. But the, I mean, I know it's a name from the game. I get it. But the movie is called Resident Evil. Welcome to Raccoon City. <laughs> and I just, I know, I know that's what the city is called in the game. But that's 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 it. Does, that's not the title of a horror movie. Yeah, it's it's probably not going to draw many new fans to the theater. But it is a nice signal to the the gaming audience that this one's going to be more faithful. Yeah, I guess that's possible. Is that better? I don't know. We'll see. Uh, look, if you in the audience, if you love these Resident Evil movies, I want to hear from you because there's got to be something about them I don't get. I think that these are just, just. I think they're trash, <laughs> and, and I can't. And the fact that there are so many when there could be better Resident Evil movies or other movies based on video games that I like, I just uh, it it bugs me, and I just 
I feel like seven movies is enough. Anyway, that's my number five. Let's, all that's left is me fetching about it. Let's move on. <laughs> well, my number four, I am, uh, I'm a little worried about to, to even speak about because I'm afraid it may do damage to our friendship. And I'm, I'm concerned about that. I want this podcast to continue. We're on episode 49 of this reboot. We're about to hit a milestone. And I don't want it to end on this, but we have episode 100 coming up. Yeah. So. I'm I'm gonna say it, but I, I I'm worried. Tron. Oh no, I I think that's okay. I yeah, Whew. I understand why you're worried, but no, I I think I see where you're going with this. But fill us in. Tron One came out in 1982. It was a groundbreaking movie, the first major film to really make uh, heavy use of computer graphics. It uh, involved Jeff Bridges getting sucked into his computer to. F- join a a avatar of one of his buddies named Tron and they go and fight the master control program and try and save the day and uh it was it was critically fairly well received commercially it made a profit but not a ton and Disney who made the movie the company behind the movie decided to put the franchise on ice after that i think there were some video games which you know if you're going to do anything with this franchise video games is the way to go and then in 2010, they put out Tron Legacy, which, again, had amazing effects and a similar plot of, of going into the computer and, and Jeff Bridges was back and Bruce Broxleitner was back and it was all light cycles and fighting computer programs. And again, it made money, but I don't think it was any, as much as everyone was hoping for and I don't think it was critically as well received. And it kind of seems to have been forgotten in the pop culture landscape that we're living in uh there was an animated series called tron uprising that lasted for a few seasons and they've been talking about doing a third movie since the the second one came out and and as far as i can tell it's still in development and and may live in development for the rest of its its existence uh i just think i think we've given this a couple kicks of the can it's it's a niche audience at best and it, the the movies are dated almost as soon as they're released because they all have to do with creatures and programs inside of computers, and that landscape changes so quickly that by the time the movie gets released, a lot of their concepts are already feeling old. So, if you're gonna do it, do do retro stuff. I think make it video games. But as far as movies go, I don't think we need it. I, you know what? I agree with you on a lot of those points. Um, I mean, I think it's very clear that Tron Legacy was supposed to set up a new series of movies for the franchise, right? They introduced, in a one-off, they introduced the son of the bad guy from the first Tron movie. Right. He was played, played by... Kill, Killian Murphy, who is, uh, <laughs> might be best known as the guy from 28 Days Later and Scarecrow and Batman Begins. Scarecrow was definitely what I was thinking. It's like, like you know, they clearly cast him there as a bit of like, well, guess what's coming next, right? Right. We have the the son of the original villain played by this like at the time super hot actor that was going to be there, and then it just never, it just fizzled out. Um, 
I think that, like Terminator, which we discussed in a previous uh, episode, I think that the the time for this concept has passed. When the first Tron came out, computers were strange and mysterious and used by, you know, like, intellectuals and dorks. Like, nowadays, you know, kids have 4K phones in their pocket that they use to film themselves playing video games and broadcast it out to the public over the... like. Like the internet is so comfortable now. Computers are so familiar now. There's really nothing exciting about you know, being in a program because that's kind of what we're doing nowadays anyway, frankly. Yeah. Like, I mean, heck, I mean, it's a pandemic. Like we haven't like most of the interactions you have with people are really just interactions with programs anyway. I think the fundamental concept of Tron is just like I think that's past. People aren't impressed by being in the machine anymore. Yeah, and and at the time of the first movie, all the effects were super groundbreaking and it was something that you could watch and just appreciate the spectacle for. The spectacle of Tron Legacy I don't know. It was like people in leather suits. It was like watching er, the Daft Punk score was more of a draw than uh, than than anything, any of the special effects in the movie, because everything is a special effects movie now. There's there's there isn't a movie that exists that doesn't have special effects. Like one of my favorite anecdotes that I, I've heard was uh, there. Kevin Smith made this movie Dogma that involved like a poop monster and angels and people flying and then a decade later, he made a movie called Jersey Girl, where it was about a father and a widowed father and his daughter getting to know each other. There were more CG shots, more computer generated effects in Jersey Girl than there were in Dogma. It's just the way of the world now. You know, there's there's computer graphics and everything and we're blase about it. So the effects in in Tron Legacy probably already look dated. I haven't watched the movie since it came out. And I, it's 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 not bad. They the de aging definitely doesn't hold up. I mean that was really early when de aging was just starting to get played with, uh, and that's not great. But like the stylistically, I'd say the movie like it looks good. Like you know having everything in that like that cool neon is a cool effect. Uh, it was also one of those early movies that you could see in three D when that was big in the theaters, and so it, it looked cool. But yeah, there's nothing in there that's revolutionary anymore. Was there anything revolutionary about the effects at the time? I guess the de-aging, but even then... I mean, the de-aging was very new, and I mean, and stylistically, like, it looked really cool. Like, it, it's not that... Like, a lot of people say, like, judge special effects by how much you can't see them. You know, like, people, like yeah. the best de-aging is de-aging you don't notice. That's not what this movie was doing. It was using special effects to amplify everything, to enhance things. They did it in a pretty cool way. There are some, some really neat concepts that they play with, but yeah, it doesn't shock you. And uh, did you watch the animated series? No, I'm shocked to hear it had a few seasons, even. Huh. I've, defi- I've definitely played some of the games... Um, I mean, like, like the reason you were so hesitant at the start of this is because when I was growing up, I was a huge fan of classic Tron. Like, I love that movie. I love the concept. Even now that I'm old enough to recognize, like, it's actually really slow in parts and a little awkward and bumbling here and there. But just like, you know, the idea just enthralled my, my younger brain. 
Um, it'll always have a soft spot in my heart, but it it's I would argue it's not really a classic unless you're looking at it from a technical level. I'm saying like yes, that was the first movie that had computer graphics. Right, like you watch it to, to in the same way that you watch King Kong, and like you you marvel at the artistry that was possible at that time. But you can take a step back and say, you know, we've come a long way since then. Yeah, no, I don't think there's there's much more to do in Tron. Yeah, yeah, let's let's let it rest. You know, it served its purpose. It it brought us some excitement, but it's time for it to to be gently put off out to pasture what's your number four my number four uh, is actually a little bit nebulous because i've been going back and forth on like where to place the blame for this so i'm not really pinning it down to one franchise although i will name some offenders um but i've decided my number four is something that i'm settling on called loot grinders um possibly but not entirely overlapping with games as a service the the kind of video game where you play the same content over and over and over to get your numbers higher so that you can play the same content where the opposing force has better numbers and repeat when i was starting this and to help explain it to folks who are kind of going what um i was basing this around the game's destiny um, the games by Bungie, uh, the first one came out in 2014, and then Destiny 2 came out in 2017, and is still getting new content that you can pay for over and over and over again. Des- Destiny has all the pieces, like, if you look at it, you'd think it was a video game. That you turn it on, like, there's, like, there's the gun at the bottom of the screen that your character is holding, a bunch of aliens come up, you shoot them etc. But the way video games used to work is you would clear a level and move on to the next one, and the next one would be a little harder, and you'd clear that level and move on to the next one. Then maybe there was a boss, there was a unique enemy that you had to do something a little bit different to, to defeat, and on and on and on until you beat the final boss, and then the game ended. When Destiny launched, you could beat it in an afternoon. It only had you know, the equivalent of four levels. But then what you would do is you would play the same levels again, and again, and again, and again. And as you kept doing them over and over and over, you would get, quote, better guns, unquote. Guns that do more damage, that fire faster, whatever. And then you'd play the same levels again, but now the enemies would be more difficult to defeat. They would take more bullets before they go down. So you'd need the better gun to defeat them. And you'd do that to get the better gun, to fight the harder enemies. And that was, and for a while, like, all that stuff about getting better stuff, it creates this fake sense of accomplishment. Like, you know, you get, oh, I got the cool new body armor and the neat new sniper rifle. Cool, I've done some. But you haven't really done anything. All the game's done is it crossed out a 10 on your damage meter and penciled in a 20. And and isn't the whole point... I feel like in, in other games, or the older games, as you, you were referring to them at the beginning, you you would beat a level and you would get a better gun, and that would help you beat the next level. But once you beat the game, I don't I don't know, I don't think you, I would feel, unless it was a very compelling game, I don't know that I would feel the need to go back through it all over again. Well, yeah, but that's the thing. Like you, like this is where the the idea of games as a service comes from. This is an idea that big multimedia conglomerates have been playing with for a while, where they say like the problem with video games is people buy them and they play them and they beat them and then they resell them and buy a new video game. 
With games like Destiny now, games as a service, they're constantly releasing new stuff. So you want to keep playing the game to try the new levels, but inevitably, it's really just the same levels. Right? Maybe the enemies are in a different place, and like this one, like the pyramid is purple instead of blue, but there's really no new experience. And to be fair, Destiny does it better than most. They keep adding new characters, they keep adding new stuff. It's actually gotten to the point in Destiny 2 where if you buy Destiny 2 today, you actually cannot play the campaign from Destiny 2 that came out when the game was first released um, in 2017, because they've released new stuff. And it's like, yeah, the, the level has snow on it, but still, my, my job is to blow up 50 robots and then move on. And it's just, it's when it's done well, it masks it for a while, but when it's done poorly, it becomes incredibly obvious that this is just like, it puts you on a treadmill. Um, this shows up all the time in mobile gaming. If you or if your kids now are playing games on their phone, this is a, this works great for phones because they don't have the you know the same sort of processing power that a major game needs. It's Graham. I know you were playing that Star Trek game forever. Yeah. Um, you know, t- take your character to the planet, like you know, beat the numbers, get your character better numbers, and then go do it again and use those better numbers to beat the level's harder numbers. But the like the the carrot there was like, okay, but now like the character you send down, it's not just Captain Kirk, it's Captain Kirk in the you know, in his gangster clothes. And his numbers are different than Captain Kirk in the yellow shirt. It was enough to keep me going for a an almost embarrassingly long time. Yeah, and for a while you sort of feel like you're accomplishing something, you feel like you're making progress, you feel proud of yourself, and then it just you know, you realize you're looking down your sights at the same weird robot that you've done a thousand times before, and it just gets so tiring. Um, look, the, the a brief history of what led me to add this to my list is, like, like after Destiny, like, Anthem came out. This was Bioware's version of it. Uh, I think we first heard about it in 2017 when Destiny 2 had already been established. And even then, people were going, you know what? I think they sort of missed the boat, and they did. Um Bioware still hasn't recovered from the money they lost on Anthem. They never even really finished the game. They released it, and they got people playing and grinding, uh, the video game term for doing the same thing over and over again, Um, grinding for better gear, uh, and eventually in February of this year, they decided they're just abandoning it. Oh my god. Yeah, they're just, they're done. They, they This was supposed to be a game that lasted, like, you know, the investment, the amount of money spent on this was it was supposed to last for 15, 20 years. Um, it barely lasted for three. Uh, the game, yeah, so the game earned over $100 million in digital revenue, and it failed to meet their sales expectations. So that's how much, $100 million is a failure. Because of how much they spent on this. And the latest casualty of this trend was the recent Marvel's Avengers game. This action brawler game that was supposed to be play as the Avengers, very clearly tied into the MCU. But what it turned into was like, you know, play as Thor and fight all these guys for a while and then get the slightly better Viking gauntlets. And then use the Viking gauntlets to fight slightly more powerful robots and get the the helmet with you know two different kinds of wings on it and etc and it tanked this game which should have been a slam dunk get together with your friends and play as the avengers and beat people up and it's just it it 
an estimated loss of $63 million for the latest quarter. Wow. That that one is especially disappointing because it feels like good superhero video games are few and far between, and the Spider-Man game on the PS4 was so great and such a big hit, and it f- sort of... I know it was different studios, but I'm, I'm far less plugged into the video game stuff than you are, so to me it felt like, ah, another Marvel video game. This is... I hope this is going to be as good as the last one. It's such a great, you know, track record that they've got so far, and... And then it came out, and there were terrible reviews, and my interest declined very quickly. Yours and everyone else's. Like the a game like that, which relies so much on your know, player investment, and pe- like, like they keep track of how many people are playing. Like it, it should be millions, right? It should be millions of people across the world playing this game at the same time. And the number for this, like it's, it's like in the like it's down to the thousands mm. sometimes. Um, this is a video game trend that I think, unlike the Resident Evil movies I was just talking about, people aren't spending money on it anymore. But these huge studios, it's just so difficult for them to change course that they keep releasing these. And there's like, there's no, it's, it's hollow. There's nothing to it. And I really think attention needs to be drawn that these looter shooters, these loot grinders, this games as a service thing, it's got to go. All right. Good good uh, addition I'm going to go to one that uh, we've talked about before and in fact we may have talked about it in my last uh, my la- my number 4 um, so we, we don't need to spend a ton of time on it but it's the Terminator franchise we did talk about this briefly at the end of our Terminator episode that uh, it seems like it's it seems like the idea is played out yeah 6 movies to date uh, the whole series was created by James Cameron and Galen Hurd. I, I don't think it was ever intended to be a series when it first started. Uh, we In that previous episode, we detailed how much time there was between sequels. Uh, so the, the first two are really good movies and very different movies, kind of in the way that Alien and Aliens are pretty different movies and yet are still great and, and also kind of launch disappointing franchises. But <laughs> <laughs> Terminator also had a comic book series. There was the TV series, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Um, lots of lots of ancillary stuff, but... Yeah, for for more details, check out our t- our top five Terminators episode. That was uh, that was November. It's uh, the reboot episode thirty four. It's worth a listen. That was a fun one. Yeah, and, and I think the the biggest problem with it is that it's tied very specifically to John Connor, Sarah Connor, and you know Arnold Schwarzenegger as the T one thousand or no the T eight hundred. And and beyond that, there's not much room to do anything. So they keep coming back to the same concepts and the same characters and trying to do different things with them. But with the time travel and all the other stuff with it, it's just a mess. And it's so hard for it to get traction, especially now that there have been three failed, like, well, at least three failed attempts to jumpstart the franchise again with, with the new trilogies that have all died on their first film. It's at this point... Just let it go, let it let it die, and and let us fondly remember the two installments that were actually good. Yeah, at this point, I think the concept of the Terminator, the the rise of the machines, is no longer something that people are worried about. I mean, there's definitely concerns about how technology is being used. 
you know, people monitoring your Facebook chats and selling the, you know, the marketing information and stuff. But the concept of the robot fighting against, like, man, robots vacuum our houses nowadays. <laughs> like, it's, we are so far past the point where robots are scary. I, I don't even know that I, I fully agree with that premise. I think there is scary stuff that can be done with it, but it's not skeletal robots clumping yeah, through okay, a pile of skulls. Yeah, like I mean, and let's zoom in on that. Maybe make sure there's enough detail there. Like, yeah, the I, the idea of the sentient defense net, you know, turning our missiles against us—that's still something that we can sort of see. Like, you know, what happens when the singularity hits and all of our, you know, our, all of our computers are networked together? Sure, but I mean, the stompy skeletal robot doesn't make any sense. We have robot drones killing people in the real world right now and you know what there's sleek tiny aircraft that shoot missiles right <laughs> imagine if terminator in 1984 instead of sending back arnold schwarzenegger they basically sent back a drone yeah like that movie ends real quick <laughs> man you're freaking me out a little yeah I, this isn't our most positive optimistic episode <laughs> to be to be sure for a variety of reasons, but yeah, the the big bad robot, a la Terminator, a la Lost in Space, a la whatever, uh, got day the Earth stood still. Even like that's that is not a, like that. Like we are so far past that. Those like those things are would be comedic compared to what we can do right now. I think I think Matrix and and other movies like Ex Machina have taken the baton from the Terminator franchise and actually done more interesting things with it and, and gone in places the franchise could have gone if it wasn't so tied directly to John Connor and, and the T-800. Yeah, the T-800, I mean, I, I can see, and they tried it in Dark Fates, like, I can see moving on from John Connor, um, but the T-800, the Terminators themselves, doesn't work anymore. I'm I'm confident going on record of saying that is an objective fact. Okay, what's your number three? My number three, um, loosely the monster verse, but specifically King Kong. Whoa! I think that's I think that's enough. And I know it's an ape, so it's now <laughs> something that has personally offended Graham. But this is coming with the the upcoming King Kong. No, this is Godzilla versus Kong is coming out any day now, which itself sort of a remake of King Kong versus Godzilla from 1962. And I, I did go back and forth on what was going to be on my list. Do I say, do I think the MonsterVerse needs to stop? Because I do think it needs to stop. Uh, but King Kong especially, I think, what a lame monster. And I, wow. I expect some pushback from Graham <laughs> on this one. But like... You know, Godzilla as a metaphor for, like, you know, the, the dangers of nuclear power and all these, like, you know, weird regenerative powers and, you know, atomic ray breath. It's like, well, what's King Kong? Well, he's a monkey, but he's real big. And he's sympathetic. He's he's taken out of his homeland and put on display in New York. No wonder he's pissed off in that movie. I, I, I will go with you so far as... You know, there have been so many reboots or remakes of that first King Kong movie, and it's not like the remaking of A Star is Born, where uh, enough changes in the music industry to justify the multiple remakes. It's the same story. It's an ape that's brought over, and in fact, it's it's usually best kept in the past because the it's hard to modernize that story. But I think it's 
I think we've we've the what four times it's made the big screen at least are enough. We we get the story of the ape who falls in love with the woman and they comes back and it's all a big spectacle and yeah, show. And in the end, humans are the real monster. I get it. Yeah. Right. But I That's think... The, the, what else is there to do with that? I think the, the Kong Skull Island was cool and all the monsters there and having it be an extra giant ape smashing up these weird lizard skull eater things and then have now having him fight Godzilla it feels like a real I don't know it, it feels like a spectacle that I would pay money to see <laughs> and probably and sp- will and spectacle is fine but if you're doing spectacle why stop at King Kong again it's such a lame monster he's not a like lame this- monster how dare he's- you <laughs> that I dare sir <laughs> The, all, all these other monsters, like, when you get to the point, like, a lot of these monsters they try for, though, like, this is something we're talking about, the human condition, and it's a metaphor. By the time you have the monsters fighting each other, it's spectacle. So, okay, if it's spectacle, let's do it. Let's make them robots. You know, let's do the Mecha Godzilla thing. Or let's give them three heads and have them breathe lightning. Or whatever it is, you know? The the like the, the pollution monster from Godzilla. No, that was Hidora. Um, but anyway, the point is, is that I get, give King Kong something cool. Like, what, he's a big monkey. That's all he's got. He's, he's up against these other monsters with laser eyes and fire breath he's and who knows what else. Intelligence. He's got That's what he's got over them. He's not some sort of cold-blooded lizard that's just out there to smash stuff. He's got more going on behind those baby blues than, than Godzilla's got going on behind his fire breath. Such as? Such as he falls in love with Naomi Watts. He's like, he's got a heart. Oh, who doesn't fall in love with Naomi <laughs> not Watts? Godzilla. That's not special. <laughs> Godzilla's busy laying eggs in the Madison Square Garden. It's like, you got, oh, God, that was offensive. <laughs> but I just, like, either you're doing a touching story and a metaphor and the human condition and all that jazz, in which case, we've done King Kong. We all know the story. There's no other stories to be told there. Or it's basically kaiju WWE, and there are cooler things to do than Big Monkey. Those are the, as far as I can see it, those are the two options, and King Kong is, does not hold the belt in either of them. All right, well, I, I have to see Godzilla King of the Monsters, which was the most recent Godzilla entry, or American Godzilla entry in the franchise, and that has the return of Mothra and Rodan and Ghidorah and I don't know who else, but maybe I watch that and... and get a better sense of your what you're going for but i find so often the movie monsters that are that we're getting these days are very generic looking and sometimes getting back to basics of a just big gorilla has more going for it than whatever that beast at the end of super eight was or or any of the cloverfield monsters they're just kind of they're generic and boring now and and a giant ape stands out in that field I, I feel exactly the opposite. I feel like at least they looked weird. At least they were doing something different. I mean, like, J- like King Kong is the bald white male protagonist of every early 2000s video game, right? Who's just there for you to project your personality onto. I, and if the whole thing, if you're going to make it a spectacle... I just, I, I want to be the guy with with atomic breath. Look, I'm not here to pick, like, who's going to win in, in Godzilla versus Kong. 
I think it's incredibly obvious that they're both going to be teaming up against someone else. There's only one way these movies ever get written. But that's, that's not what I'm saying. I just, at first, I just, I, I just, I'm bored. I'm bored with the big monkey. It sounds like we have to agree to disagree. All right. All right. Fair enough. All right. Well, my number two is one that I think we can both agree on. Tarzan. Yeah, Tarzan. Are they doing anything new with Tarzan? I would have said that that franchise is dead already. Well, the last big screen adaptation was 2016, which, you know, is more recent than I thought it was. That was the one with Alexander Skarsgård and uh, Christoph Waltz doing generic villain role, as he is wont to do. And uh, Margot Robbie and Sam Jackson, I think, is in there. Let's go back to the beginning. It started with Edgar Rice Burroughs in the, the around the turn of the century. There were 24 novels as part of the official series, and then a bunch of spinoffs and uh, official and unofficial sequels. There have been comic books. There have been uh, TV series. There have been so many adaptations. The, the Probably the best-known one for modern, modern audiences is the 1999 uh, Disney adaptation. But... I just don't know that it holds the same fascination for modern audiences as it did for audiences decades ago. And beyond that, it also has some tricky politics that are are going to be a lot harder, harder for a modern audience to digest. And frankly, you know, I, I was reading about this franchise. I, I don't know that much about Tarzan beyond what we all know. You know, Tarzan and Jane... He beats his chest, he's strong, he talks with uh, with apes and, and lives in the jungle. But reading about this, and, and I knew this sort of from other sources and, and reading about Tarzan in the past, but he gets out of the jungle pretty quickly in those books. So I think by the end of the first book, he's gone to London, found out about his past, he's a lord, he's got this whole title and everything, either the Viscount of uh, Greystoke or the Earl of Greystoke, depending on the book, I am um, way more interested in that kind of story about him trying to reintegrate to modern society than in, in him being in the jungle, because we have done the jungle to death with that character. and But that seems to be what the only thing, the only story people want to tell is him in the jungle protecting apes or doing whatever, and and I, I I'm bored with it. I just don't care. Yeah, I don't... I wonder if the you know, the jungle has sort of gone the same way as the computer in Tron. I mean, it definitely hasn't. There are still jungles on Earth that are still really dangerous, dark, difficult places to get to. But is anyone interested in the deep of the jungle storyline anymore? And can they do it without telling a weird sort of colonialism kind of tale? Because inevitably, when you have a jungle storyline, you have, you know, like the the white Western adventurer and the tribe of natives. And it starts yeah. to get a little bit icky. Starts, finishes, the the whole thing is, is icky. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I think that there was a, in, in doing my research for this, there's a uh, movie in the 80s that's, I think just called Greystoke and it, it does straddle the line a bit better of, of Christopher Lambert's uh, Tarzan spending some time at least in London and, and reacclimating. Well, not even reacclimating cause he's been, he was raised in the jungle, but getting to know what it's like to, to, you know, eat with a fork and knife and learn how to be, 
the the pleasantries of society. I think that's more interesting and less icky because there's he's bringing something of that world back to to a more you know white society as as it would be in that time period and i think that you can say a lot more with that story than going the other way no you know what i'm still not that interested (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's fair i was i was trying to put a spin on it to make it more interesting but frankly i think we're ready to let tarzan just be something of the past a relic of the past like a lot of the the contemporary characters of that time like uh uh oh man the name is escaping me but he's uh character that um indiana jones is kind of based on alan quartermain like nobody knows who alan quartermain is anymore and i don't think we're any worse for that yeah i was definitely about to say gaston (laughs) and i was like no wait that's a different one (laughs) but but kind of the same guy you know yeah yeah Uh, and, and gaston is is a great example of the type of character that was so popular at that turn of the century and is now a villain. And maybe there's a version of the story where Tarzan's the bad guy that might be more interesting. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you on that one. No uh, no opposition. Let's let's stop doing Tarzan. Nice. That brings me to my number two. Um, this one won't be controversial on this podcast, I think, but probably controversial in general. I think it's time we let Alien go. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um... Look, 1979, Ridley Scott, Alien, it's a classic. It is a sci-fi horror movie. Um, it, uh, depending on, well, hmm, depending on how much you want to analyze it, it has stuff to say about, like, sexuality and stuff. But I feel like people say that about every movie that has become a classic and they, like, sort of want to justify watching because they're usually too, like, snobby and intellectual to appreciate a good Alien horror movie. Uh, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar, guys. Well, I, I mean, guess in I, this case, sometimes a face hugger is just a face hugger. I I would but, argue that H.R. Uh, Giger's very sexual design work plays into that more than in some other things. Maybe, uh, but here we're there. It's it's. I mean, it's about a spaceship and some you know, people are on it and they find an alien and it kills almost all of them. Um, and it spawned a whole thing. And you know what? Like Alien, nineteen seventy nine, great movie, liked it. Aliens, very different movie, action movie, also really liked it. Um, they kept going for a while, and it's just like they did the, the, the trilogy, and then Resurrection in ninety seven, and that one was pretty rough. I mean, uh, and three the, is rough. Uh, th- yeah, three isn't great either, but it's it's also like it's like I mean, Aliens was eighty six, three was ninety two. It was close enough that it still sort of felt like like it was the third part of a trilogy. By Resurrection, it was like oh, they're making another one of these, all right. And then since then, Alien has been relegated to you know like the Alien versus Predator or Alien versus whoever. Like it's just sort of become generic. Nothing alien for a while until Prometheus in 2012, which was a very poorly kept secret that it was supposed to be a prequel to Alien, but then it kind of wasn't really, and folks weren't entirely sure. And so then they made the sequel to that prequel and called it Alien Covenant, just so you could be sure that it was an Alien prequel, and it just turned out to be a really lousy rehash of the movie Alien. I will say that that uh, those last two 
were more interesting. Not necessarily, they, they weren't great movies, but like uh, Prometheus and Covenant, I found them to have interesting ideas in them and were, were they had a fun mysteriousness about them that was missing from three and in insurrection and alien versus predator. But riddle me this. <laughs> if you watch those two movies and they took the xenomorphs, the aliens out still good movie, right? Like all the interesting parts are still in there. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know? I think, I think especially Prometheus needs the alien connection but like the the scene that sticks out to me as the most memorable in alien covenant is the scene with the two michael fassbenders that the their two robots yeah, walter and david sure they're yeah but that 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 could happen outside the alien franchise for sure yeah it doesn't need it like i think alien has run its course it's a cool looking design it's a vicious monster. I think it's... But there's nothing more to do with it. The coolest parts of Alien don't have to do with the aliens anymore. And so in the new movies, like, the alien is just there as, like, a prop to keep it going. It's like how you can't... Like, you're not allowed to have a Star Wars movie without a lightsaber in it. Right. You know, even in Solo, they couldn't get away with it. They had to work a lightsaber into there somehow. Like, Alien is just the lightsaber of these movies that are trying to do other things. So just don't make them alien movies. Tell a cool sci-fi story and let the alien go. Um, the reason, what motivated me to put this on this list is that a new Aliens video game got announced recently, and it's, uh, what is this one? This is Aliens Fire Team, uh, which is the first alien video game for a few years, and it's heavily inspired by Aliens Colonial Marines, which is one of the worst video games of all time. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> ah, good place to get inspiration. Exactly. Um, and you know what? Because there there are some unique and interesting alien-themed video games, but a lot of them are just, you have a machine gun. These bug aliens are crawling towards you really fast. Shoot them before they hit you. And that's all they can ever do? Right. Uh, alien Isolation took a... That was the last, or the one previous to this... What? There was a few. That was, oh. Alien Isolation was it came a ways back. Um, the last, the most recent Alien game was Alien Blackout, and uh, <laughs> you haven't heard of that one. Nobody has. <laughs> but Isolation was fairly well received and and had an interesting sort of horror video game vibe that took takes you back to the first Alien movie. Yeah, it's also seven years old. All right. It's yeah. Yeah, no, look, if you're if you're into Alien and you want to have a fun, like, interactive Alien experience, Alien Isolation is great, but it's also still kind of the the exception, you know? Like, they keep making Alien games and no one's playing them. They made Alien, like, they had the Alien show up in movies for a while and nobody cared. Um, and in no way does that take away from the classic movies, but I don't, like, everyone knows the Alien now. Like, you know what it is when you look at it. You know that it's got a mouth inside of its mouth. They haven't found anything else interesting to do with that. It's a scary, hard-to-kill bug alien. We could come up with cooler space creatures. We have come up with cooler space creatures. I, I think we got to let it go. I, the other thing with it is that the part of the appeal of the first two movies is it seemed to be a well-established, well-built world and you just they lifted the veil just enough so that you got hints of the greater world but but the focus was on the story 
And the more they've done the movies, the more they've tried to lift the veil and the less interesting it becomes. It's so much better if you don't know what the Whale and Utani Corporation is. Like that name is enough that there's a corporation involved. But the more you learn about it and the more the history of it becomes revealed, the less interesting the story becomes. Yeah, I agree with you completely. And I think the same thing is true about the alien itself. When it was this weird, mysterious, singular alien you didn't know anything about, creepy. Now that we've got the whole, like, there's a queen and it lays these eggs and then the facehuggers and there it is. And it takes on different things depending on what infects. That's how we end up with the stupid dragon one from Alien 3. It's just, you're just rolling your eyes. Like, like it's become too familiar to be scary and it's not interesting, and it doesn't do anything else besides be scary. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I, it wasn't something I considered for my list, but man, you uh, have made a very strong case for it. All right, let's move on. What is your number one? So the way I sort of organized my list was based on the ones that I think, the the ones that I think have the best chance of being resuscitated were at the bottom of the list. Five, four, three, two, one, and and now we've reached the ones where I'm like. These ones should definitely, they need to be finished. There's nothing else they're going to bring to the table. All they have is a name, and that name is best left in the past. My number one is G.I. Joe. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. When was was the last time they did anything with G.I. Joe? While they're still doing comics, there's a movie, a Snake Eyes movie in the works. There's, there's... Really? Yeah. Good heavens. (laughs) Uh, I can't say it better myself. <laughs> what what possible story is there to tell about Snake Eyes? Well, one of the most well-regarded comic books in the G.I. Joe franchise was an all-silent Snake Eyes issue. So maybe they'll do a silent movie with, with Snake Eyes. Oh, yeah. This one. Yeah. We, th- that, like, if you've hit that point, we've hit this point. It's time to let this one go, folks. Oh, I had no idea. That's awful. So just just coming, just to g- give some background, this started as an action figure line in the 60s, and it's it's basically just there to glamorize the armed forces. There was, uh, uh, you know, for, for each branch of the American military, there was a, a G.I. Joe figure, and they kept cranking out more of them. They had the cloth clothing, and, and they were just fun toys. And they tried rebooting them and doing different things with the toy lines until we get to the 80s. Uh, it was all about just glamorizing the military. Once we hit the 80s, it gets a little weird <laughs> where they introduce yeah. the Cobra Command and, and the those guys, the Cobra Force, are the villains that they would fight. All the main uh, G.I. Joe f- characters got distinct personalities based around this one characteristic of, of theirs, whether it's like Snake Eyes, who's a ninja, or there's like Shipwreck, who's a... Uh, navy guy uh and just does like boat stuff and they just got progressively more and more weird and and specific uh and i have to be really careful when talking about it that i don't confuse them with characters from the venture brothers where they were expertly parodied (laughs) i i wanted to point that out the best thing to come out of gi joe (laughs) was the the osi the, the their parody in the venture brothers Every character, every punny nickname, and that is brilliant. I just, I, I like, give me, the, like, I would, if I had to accept 
the G.I. Joe keep doing more stuff because it would make more Venture Brothers, I'd be 100% on board. Right. So so the heyday for G.I. Joe was the uh, 80s and, and into the early 90s, where there was the animated series, The Real American Hero, and the Marvel comic book, which went for 155 issues and various spinoff things, largely out of the brain of Larry Hama, who was the the writer for almost all 155 issues of that run. And he did... he he almost single-handedly created the mythos around the the franchise and the characters and and he the TV show was also at least the first season of it was also a Marvel co-production so there's there's some bleed there once that era ended they decided to relaunch with different stuff they've tried other cartoons other comic book runs ultimately it's just really generic military stuff and we can get that anywhere you know steven seagal and bruce willis put out movies like that every other week and and the gi joe name doesn't have that cachet to it and if you don't have the punny characters what's the point at one point in the in like 2009 there was a real gritty animated series that warren ellis wrote and that got some minor buzz but didn't really go anywhere beyond that there have been two live action movies so far uh i mean channing tatum was in the first one and has since said he literally just did it because he was contractually obligated to he didn't think it was a good movie and didn't want to come back for the sequel i mean that tells you something right like like they are it's not a franchise that even the people who are in it want to do anymore i i just think it's time for us to to bury it six feet under, let it live in nostalgia, forget about it, start something new, start fresh. I mean, listen, I don't disagree. I mean, I'm looking at it from a whole different reason. It's, I think we're, I hope we're reaching the point in society where we're really taking a look at how much time we're spending glamorizing the armed forces to children. Like that, I've reached the age of my life where that creeps me out a little. I am very much on board with that sentiment, but I really, I, I wish that were true, that that would be something that we would be considering to, to as a factor in the death of this, this franchise, but I am too cynical for that. I just don't think that's a factor in this. I mean, certainly, I mean, up here in Canada, our relationship with our, our military is a little bit different than the idolatry that goes on in the States, where G.I. Joe is very clearly drawn from. Um, you know, the army is still a big deal down there, but it's like war is a lot less potable than it was in our parents' generation. I think it was a lot easier to sell before, you know, the internet, before freedom of information, before... You know, like like learning about things like post-traumatic stress disorder and about like sciences of what happens to a person's mind, like that kind of thing. And I think what happens to veterans when they come back after war, and the the support or lack thereof for them. I all the way back to the you know back when Rambo, like the first Rambo <laughs> movie, which was a real movie, was looking at that. But like, yeah, I feel like that's a lot more broadly understood, even if it's not accepted right now. And just the thought of recruiting like i'm trying to compare it to the other cartoons like transformers you know like no one's no one's trying to convince these kids to sign up and go fight on cybertron right they're trying to convince them to buy toys (laughs) yeah 
but buying toys still seems a lot lower yeah. on the like Satan scale <laughs> than like, come on, kids, you know, like sign up and join the war. Like, I just it's really oh, cool. That makes me, it's that makes me uneasy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. So, I mean, I, at least my number one was something that was not controversial between the two of us. And we can both agree enough is enough with the G.I. Joe. Yeah, let's cut that out. All right, well, that brings us to my number one, and uh, I organized my list a little bit differently than yours. I organized it by uh, how much trouble I would get in for <laughs> mentioning these things. And number one is a doozy, and I think like you're going to see where I'm going with it, but hear me out. Uh, like, So my number one that we have to let die, and there is a caveat attached to this, so listen to the whole thing. I'm so nervous. We have to let 20th century Star Trek die. Kirk, Spock, Bones, enough. Let them rest. Picard, let him rest. Even Cisco, enough. Star Trek is one of our favorite franchises. It uh, We love those characters. We love those places. But the whole concept about Star Trek is going where no one has gone before. The... Way back when, when the first J.J. Trek movie came out, I was pretty disappointed that it was going to be a rehash of Kirk. Um, and you know what? Especially that first one in particular, I do kind of like. It's a silly action movie. You know, lots of people talk about how it was really just J.J. Abrams' like you know application and resume to do a Star Wars movie, but <laughs> it was still fun. But it's like I am so tired of seeing these characters get dragged out. We've had so many people play Spock now. And then Picard, we had the miniseries, and it was, it's got its ups and its downs. You know what? I'm, I'm just not... going to correct you there. It is uh, season one. It is not a miniseries. You're right. That's a that's a poor way to put it. It's, there is a full series of Picard coming, and I don't think that's a good idea. I think that the future is a fertile ground for Star Trek, but it's got to be new Star Trek, new ships, new characters. I just enough with dragging these poor characters around. I mean, despite how old the actors are, the characters are ancient. I think it's time to let them go. Second star on the right, straight <laughs> on till morning. Get me a new crew. Wow. I was very trepidatious when you started this pitch. Um, but you're right. You're right. We Star Trek is at its best when it's moving forward and exploring new territory. And and as much as I love the nostalgia factor of, of having Picard come back and the Riker cameos and all that stuff, I could live without it and and you know one of my biggest complaints about discovery from day one is that it was set 10 years before the original series especially right co considering everything about it looks so much more modern it would have been so much easier just set in the future to begin with i'm glad we're there now but set in the future to begin with and you would have solved so many problems and avoided so many headaches and so many traps, like so many things they had to be stuck doing. We had to have the war with the Klingons, you know, like that's going to, because we know that that war happened. Like we had to have limitations on our warp drive because we know that ships at that era only went that fast. We had to have like, like certain events needed to happen. Certain characters needed to be there. Like just 
you know what? If they this this the discovery has a spore drive, it can teleport around. Let's have that be the future and tell future stories there, and they can teleport around and meet new aliens and have new characters doing new things. Even I mean, we've got we've been over this on this show. We don't necessarily dislike Michael Burnham, but it, the show is way too focused on her. For a star like a show a Star Trek show should be an ensemble cast. But what Burnham does, like the mutiny and her not quite fitting in and all that, all that is especially hard to do because of the time period, because we know how people are supposed to behave. Now that the show has written itself into the future, finally, three seasons too late, but at least they're there, now there's sort of some more justification for changes, for this to not be the Starfleet we're familiar with. I'm willing to explore that. Yeah. Yeah, and, and disentangle her from Spock and and make her her own character, so she's not anchored by whatever Spock's gone through. Yeah, God, oh yeah, making her a Spock sibling, guys. Adding a Spock sibling didn't work out well the first time, <laughs> and you went and you did it again. No, I like. I think that Star Trek needs to move on. It needs, and if if you're having a hard time pitching it to the studio or whatever, say okay, it is still the 24th century or the early 25th century or whatever, but it's a whole new ship with whole new characters and a whole new crew, and Jonathan Frakes can cameo in the first episode to give them their orders and then let them go do their own thing. Yeah, I just. It's we've got to let go. We've got to move on to make room for the cooler, newer stuff that can grow there. And that stuff can't grow if you're still rehashing the same old stuff. And it's and it's uncomfortable. I know it's it's going to be fresh and different, but I can't do Kirk anymore, guys. I can't. I I, I just who are they going to get to play him next? And who is he going to try to kiss next? And uh, just like enough. Kirk has been done. He's been done when he was young. He's been done when he was old. It's over. We've seen so much Kirk. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. And and in this era of streaming services where everything's clamoring for your, your attention, there's a ton of reboots happening. But I think the what reboots get you are the same people who already love the original and, and they have to still love the original and it brings them with you but that audience is is diminishing it's it's all diminishing returns the stuff that gets new people to it are new ideas and fresh concepts and and that's what things need more than than just doubling down on old concepts just because they have name recognition yeah look you can get the the old audience in like all you got to do is flash the starfleet delta on the on the screen you know that's it. You don't even necessarily need the word Star Trek in the title. Probably should, but as long as that's there, those fans will know that that is. But then you tell an original story and an interesting... Like, something like what The Expanse is doing. Yeah. And, like, any original story, it's based on the books, but original book, like, telling something new in a new way that hasn't been done before, that will get people watching. And do something new and move Star Trek into the you know, into our twenty first century and their twenty whateverth. That I think that's a great idea, and it's a, it's it's we're ten maybe fifteen years past when they should have done it. It's we somebody needs to get up there to Kurtzman and those guys and just cut the umbilical. <laughs> All right, I think uh, I think we've said all that we're going to say on this, and and I think it was a real interesting 
group of 10 different things. I'm surprised we didn't have any overlap. Yeah, you and I are big whiners, it looks like. <laughs> we got plenty of stuff to complain about, right? Ah, I didn't mean for that to get so so negative, but just like I just I'm just scraping all this stuff off of my plate. It's not because I don't like eating food, it's just because I can't keep eating casserole. Just I'm I'm excited for new chocolate cake. Yeah, yeah. Let's get some cake out there. Let's see some new Star Trek. Let's see some new sci-fi creatures. Let's see some cool new monsters. Let's. I mean, we can let commercials for the U.S. Army just go. Uh, let's let let's see some new horror movies. Let's see some new zombie stuff. All kinds of new things. To, to go there, there's, you know, that whole metaphor with, like, the rainforest, or whatever, it catches fire, and it burns, so that's part of its life cycle, so that it can grow up again. Yeah. That's what we're excited about. I want to, I just want to make it clear, this is an optimistic note. This this isn't just us saying everything sucks, we're just saying that there are things that need to let, let die to make room for cool new stuff that we are to be excited by. That's the future that we want to see. Ah, so... It's chances are that uh, that maybe we offended some folks there. I get it. You can be passionate about Alien. You can be passionate about Resident Evil. You can be passionate. Maybe someone out there is passionate about GI Joe, and there's something we missed. Don't know, but we'd love to hear about it because we're always looking for other viewpoints on this. Especially, you know, it's not like we can just go out and talk to people because of the bloody pandemic. We would love to hear from you, Graham. How can they? Uh, how can they get that stuff to us? Please email us at geektop5 at gmail We're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash geektop5, and we're on Twitter at geektop5. Actively soliciting your input uh, because this is all possible because of you. And in case it hasn't been clear, this is our big special thanks to you. We really appreciate uh, how much time you tune in, spending the time with us. While we're giving out those thanks, just always want to mention our musician, Jamie Reum. Uh, Reum is spelled R E A U M E. Uh, the guy behind our theme song, he's a music geek, he does some pretty cool stuff, he's got some podcast-esque stuff of his own. Find him on YouTube at Jamie Reum Official and on Instagram at Jamie underscore Reum. If you're in the Toronto area, he also does some cool stuff online. Um, it's you know, Once things open up again, he'll be out there playing music again, and we're all, fingers crossed, waiting for that. Ten things that, frankly, we uh, we don't recommend that you go do. But hey, if there's something on there you miss that you're curious about, you can go take a look. And that will keep you busy until next week with Geek Top 5 Episode 100. Very exciting. Uh, we've got some special stuff planned for that, so that should whet your appetite. Um, until then, I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And this has been Geek Top 5. We will talk to you again next week. I'm not going to bother recording in Skype this time. And I am recording as well. Podcast voice. Podcast, podcast voice. voice. Excellent. That's that's not my podcast voice. I don't know why I did that. This is my new podcast voice. Yeah. Yes, Geek Top 5 is now... I, I was going to say CNN, but they're not respected well. Are there still respected newscasters? Mm. Well, you know what? There are now. Welcome to <laughs> GT5 News. Hosted by two Sam the Eagles. Yes, yes. No, I'm... What's that good news anchor name? I'm Jack. Trust... Good... I fucking have no idea where I'm going with this. <laughs> but the voice is very impressive. Very impressive. I'm Jack Silvertubes. <laughs>
And I'm Stanley Longfeather. Oh, that's a good one. Fuck, you totally you totally outdid me on that. It's because I gave you all the time to think while I was prevaricating. I, I thought I told you yesterday I'm very good at not thinking. <laughs> well, demonstrably, you were lying, sir. <laughs> Here at GT5 News, we seek the truth. Uh, and pie. Mmm, pie. Pie? I mean, I'm more of a cake person, personally. Oh, but. great. Now we're in the, the debate corner. It is Geek Top 5. Top 5. All right. Oh, okay. 